0: waiting on that trumpet to sound so that we can all fly away. Those of us who know the Lord and Savior as our personal Savior, we are listening for that trumpet to sound. Amen? Amen. How you can do better than that. Amen? Amen? Amen. That's better. All right. You have your Bibles, turn to the book of Romans, chapter 7. We're on our eighth lesson on spiritual gifts. Today, I want to take a look at the gift of teaching, a gift of teaching And we see that mentioned in Romans chapter 12, verse 7, as Paul was writing this letter to the church at Rome concerning spiritual gifts, he says this in verse 7, if our gift is ministry, let us wait on our ministry. And then he says, or he that teacheth on teaching. Now, as we look at this gift of teaching, we have to distinguish between the gift ...and the office. Now, what I mean by that, I'm going to explain it in a moment. we got to distinguish the difference between the gift of teaching... ...and the office of teaching. Look, you can be a teacher within the church... ...but only be in an official position of a teacher... ...and not necessarily have the gift of teaching. You know, if you're in a position of a teacher... ...yet you don't have the gift of teaching... You can be successful, okay, but you really must apply yourself and, and and make a sacrifice of a lot of times, and many times, you know, it becomes a burden to people rather than a blessing. In other words, if you do not have the gift of teaching, but you want to hold the office of teaching, you know, the time and the effort that you have to put into preparing you know, to go before that class is not long until that's going to become a burden rather than a blessing to you. But a person with the gift of teaching, I mean, it's a blessing. It's, it's a blessing for them to spend all those hours in the word of God in order to be able to come before their class on a Sunday morning or whichever and squeeze all of that that they have taken in all week. Those with the gift of blessing, I mean, with the gift of uh, teaching, though, they still have to spend time in study and in prayer. But it's easier for them to make that sacrifice because to them, this is something they really enjoy doing. And actually, it's not a sacrifice to them. It's not a sacrifice because this is just what they do. You see, uh, as with all gifts, though, the exercising of this gift is a joy rather than a burden. It never becomes a burden for them to have to spend six, eight, maybe even ten hours a week in study and in prayer preparing themselves. But a person who does not have that gift, they're not going to be willing to give of that time because that would be a sacrifice cutting into their time. So, one with this gift of teaching has that natural desire, I mean that natural desires within them to study and they really enjoy taking what they have learned throughout the week and taking it to their class and just squeezing all that out upon their people. However, not all who have the gift of teaching are recognized as official teachers within the church because this gift can be exercised in many, many different ways within in the church other than just being a teacher in a Sunday school class or if a, you know, church has a, you know, a Sunday night, uh, what, what do we used to call that on Sunday nights, uh. Training union. There you go. Hardly any churches do training union anymore. But you know, uh, rather it's Sunday school training union, or even some other things that we're going to look at this morning. But first of all, we need to understand what is the definition of the gift of teaching. What is that? It is simply passing on truth, passing on the truth of God's word. This is the spirit given ability. To pass on truth to someone else. You see, those with the gift of teaching, they differ from those with simply holding the office and like in the fact that they're like sponges. People with the gift of teaching, they're like sponges. They just like soaking in all this Word of God. They not only like soaking in this information, but they love it when their class comes together and they're able to just squeeze all that they have studied all week out on their class, out on their class. You see, however, this is not the case with one who simply holds the office. It's not the case with one who simply holds the office but doesn't have the gift. They're content just going in and getting the job done. Okay, here it is Sunday again. I'll go in and I'll teach my Sunday school class. Excuse me. And what they wind up doing is simply shooting from the hip. Because, well, this is what i got to do. This is my responsibility. They don't like that time, or they don't like to have to spend time in the Word throughout the week because, again, that's cutting into their day. And that's the difference in someone who simply holds the office and someone who has the gift of teaching. That person with the gift of teaching—they just can't get enough of God's word because that desire to soak up the truth, uh, the the, the, the truths of God's word, and pass those truths on to others—that's just what they live for. You see, and it's it's good that you know those without the gift are willing to help out. In other words, if there is some a class that needs to be taught. You know, it, it's good that you have someone, even though they don't have the gift, you know, that's willing to, you know, to help out in that area. But it's just not a passion for them because that gift has not been bestowed upon them by God. And it's good, again, like they're willing to help, but it's not going to be long until that becomes a burden to them. It becomes a burden to them. And, you know, the question we must ask ourselves is simply this. Am I really doing justice to the people in my class? In other words, those who do not have the gift of teaching, but they hold that position. Am I really doing justice to those that are in my class? Or am I just feeding my ego? Because that's what I want to do. It looks like a nice position. It looks like people are going to look up to you. Look here. As a teacher, our desire as a teacher... Our desire should be to pass on the truths to others so that they can receive it, the truth, and implement that within their life. And that's what a person with the gift of, of, of teaching looks for. Their goal, their passion is to pass on these truths and, and have it soak in you know, their, their students and, and hope that the, the, the students will make those truths real within their life. And understand this one with the gift of teaching, though, is easily discouraged. Now, listen to what I'm fixing to have to pay here. I mean, say here, because, you know, some of the teachers paid me $20 to put this into my notes. No, not really. But it's something I want you to understand because teachers are easily discouraged. And here's what I mean by that when they do not see others absorbing and implementing the truths that they've laid out before them within their lives, you know, whether it's adults or children alike, rather than listening when the teacher is teaching, rather than paying attention when that teacher is teaching, okay, Uh, you know, they may be talking or they may be, you know, looking at their phone or whatever they're doing. Let me tell you, that is discouraging to a teacher. Look, if that teacher is going to put in the effort to study all week, you need to respect that teacher enough to sit and listen to what they have to say. Do You hear what I'm saying? Do I hear another amen on that? Okay, look at here. Show your teacher respect for the time and the effort they have put in to study in that lesson all week. It's kind of like when a pastor is teaching and People are walking in and out. Just a thought. Just a thought. Look, have respect, okay? If that teacher is going to study all week, put in six to eight hours or even ten hours a week preparing you a lesson, have enough respect for them to sit, be quiet, and pay attention. And the same thing for the pastor preaching. You don't need to be up walking around in and out. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Is this coming out? Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Anybody else? Okay, go ahead, Chad. Okay, but do you see my point? Because look, when she got up, everybody's eyes went to her. Seriously. You know, and I, don't, I hope I ain't making you mad, you know. But anyway, that, that's what it is in a classroom setting. When a teacher is, has spent all these hours a week, prepared, and they got people in their class, you know, who are, uh, are are just talking with others, being on their phone, doing this, doing that, and not paying attention, it's discouraging to them, and it's distracting from the whole class. Amen or oh me? Okay. Just just a thought on all that. Just a thought. We won't pass the offering to see how, the offering plate to see how much you really enjoyed that, so we probably wouldn't get nothing in it at this time. Anyway, and not only listen to what they have to say, but why not try to implement what they're teaching you into your life? Do you hear me? They are soaking out, I mean, they're squeezing out the truths of God's word that they have studied all week upon you with the hopes that you will take that word in. And implement it into your life. Why not try to implement some of that into your life? Look at here. Where prophecy is proclaiming Christ. And expecting people to listen. That's what prophecy is. Proclaiming the word of God. And you're expecting people to listen. Teaching on the other hand. Is passing on the truths of God's word. That uh, in hopes that. The class or the pupils or the people will implement them into their lives in order that they will grow closer to God. Methods of teaching. Because I said well while ago that you know, a person with the gift of teaching may not hold an official office within the church. Okay? There's a number of methods. First of all is one-on-one discipleship. You may not hold the office of, of, of teaching, but one-on-one discipleship is another way that this gift can be utilized within the church. In other words, you find a person that that wants to be discipled, that wants to grow in Christ, and you meet with them on a regular basis to to help them, you know, learn the Word of God and squeeze that Word of God out upon them. Those with the gift of teaching, they just love one-on-one discipleship. Their greatest joy in life is passing on truth to others and, don't miss this, seeing a change within their life. That is their goal, to pass on the truths that they have studied all week and want to see those pupils, those class people, make a change within their life. You know what their greatest disappointment in life is? Pouring themselves into others and not seeing any results. Not seeing any results. You know why a lot of pastors only stay at a church three to five years? One reason, one reason is because, you know, people don't want them there no longer, okay? In fact, the average stay for a pastor in an East Texas Baptist church is three to five years. But another reason is a pastor pours himself into the people for three to five years, and they see no change in the lives of those people. Listen, that is discouraging. And let me just throw this in. I don't know how y'all put up with me for 20. You realize I'll be here 20 years in February? You know, either we got a bunch of senile people in here or y'all like me, one of the two. I don't know which of it is. Okay? But seriously, three to five years is the average stay for a pastor in an East Texas Baptist church. And I have talked to a number of them who are discouraged because the people do not respond. Let me just give you a story on that. One pastor, pastors a church here, you know, in our area. This has been a number of years ago. He called me, wanted to have dinner with me and, and, and just talk. You know, he was down. He was discouraged. And I met with him. he said, uh, Brother Gene, he said, I resigned my church Sunday. I said, man, why, okay, you know, what happened? He said... Every Sunday, the people would come out. I'd be standing at the back door. And they'd shake my hand and say, great message, Pastor. Great message. Every Sunday, it was the same. He said, I poured myself into those people. And I'd never seen a change within their lives. He said, for, so last Sunday morning, I preached a message. I preached the message and the people come out. Great message, Pastor. Great message. You know, Sunday night, we come back together. He said, Brother Gene, I preached the exact same message as close to what I preached Sunday morning. He said, the people come out, shook my hand, said, great message, Pastor. He said, not a one of them even realized it was the same message I preached that morning. Hmm. Do you think he was discouraged? He had been kind of feeling that, you know, these people aren't responsive. These people aren't listening. And that proved it. He called them all back in before they got in their cars. And he resigned on the spot. Listen, a person with the gift of teaching, don't miss this, they're easily discouraged. Their greatest joy in life is passing out the truths that they have studied all week. And seeing a change in the lives of their people as a result of their efforts. Another thing is, and this is going to, we'll talk about this one. It's coming alongside young parents. Now, I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but young parents have all the answers. All, you know, young parents have all the answers nowadays. You know, Proverbs 22, 6, you know, teaches parents the responsibility of training their children. You know, as the writer says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Also in chapter 22, verse 15, it says that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will what? Drive it far from him. In other words, bust that tail. That's East Texas translation. Bust the tail. Can I tell you something young parents don't like doing nowadays? Discipline their children. They don't want to hurt their little baby's feelings by disciplining them. Oh, they may give them time out. (laughs) Time out, yeah. But the Bible says bust the tail. Bust the tail. Now, here's what I mean by all that. These verses and more show us that training sometimes involves correction and sometimes involves things we don't necessarily like doing. We as parents will not always do everything correct, but we must do what the Scripture teaches. Okay? Now, what does this have to do with the gift of teaching? Many parents do not understand Scripture enough to raise their children according to biblical standards. Those with the gift of teaching can exercise this gift in that area also. They are able to teach young parents to raise their children in biblical standards, in a biblical way. The problem here is that many parents don't want somebody else telling them what to do with my kid. You know why there's so much problems within our school system today? Because these parents are raising hanyaks, And when the school gets on to them or sends them home, the parent comes up there with the child right in front of the administrator and jumps all over them for poor little Johnny. You're not being fair to poor little Johnny. Look, those with the gift of teaching within the church can come alongside these young parents if they will allow them to. And, and help them develop their children, you know, and according to bi- biblical standards. It's because of this attitude that even our church kids are caught up in teen pregnancy and drug abuse, alcohol, and many other things of this world. Because young parents aren't willing to sit with a person with the gift of teaching and let them help guide them in how to ju- uh, raise their children in a biblical manner. Look, God has placed those with the gift of teaching within the church to be used in many areas including this area of raising children. Turn if you would to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Another area that the gift of teaching is used is in where older men and women should teach the younger Paul, as he was writing young Titus, here's what he had to say to Titus. Titus chapter 2, beginning with verse 3. The aged women. That's better than saying you old ladies, isn't it? Yeah, it's a good thing I didn't write this. I would have probably said it the other way. You aged women, he says, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the younger women. Okay, now what he's saying here is, you older ladies, especially those of you with the gift of teaching, here's how I can be used within the church. You know, you can't be false accusers. Okay? You can't be given to much wine. You've got to be teachers of good things. Okay? For what purpose? In order that you may teach the young women to be sober, That you may be able to teach the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. You may be able to teach the younger women to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. That the word of God be not blasphemed. Now, that's the young ladies. What about the young men? Young men likewise. Okay? Now, likewise, making reference to what he says up there at first, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. You also, he says, be sober minded. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed having no evil thing to say of you. This is some great advice here from an older Paul to a younger Titus that the church has gotten totally away from. Do you see in our churches today the older men teaching the young men? Do you see in our churches today the older women teaching the younger women? That concept is gone, folks. And you want to know why the church is in the shape it's in today? Because that concept has been thrown out. You want to know why our families are in the shape they are in today? Because that concept has been thrown out. You want to know why our country's in the shape it's in today? Because this concept has been thrown out of the church. All because nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to tell me What to do. Look at the things that could be learned if a prideful person would simply lay pride aside and learn from one who has been there. For the women, you know, how to be sober. Now, this simply means how to be a woman of a sound mind. How to love your husband. How to love your children. How to be discreet. This is simply means a woman having self-control. How to be chaste. In other words, pure from every fault. How to keep your home. You know how to cook. You know what? These younger women know nothing about cooking, do they? If you, all, if you know of a young lady who don't know anything about cooking, send it to my wife. Don't want to take nothing. Don't want to offend no one in here, but she's the best cook in this room. And you I'm sorry, man. <laughs> I'm sorry for you ladies. Y'all looking at me like you ain't never ate my food. Uh, but maybe I'm a little prejudiced. But do you see what I'm saying? The aged women, not the older. I said older a well while ago, didn't I? The aged women could teach the younger women. All of these things that he mentions here. <laughs> Ooh, that last one I should Anybody got any white, white out? I'll white out that last one. How to be submissive to your husband. Amen. You you can say that because Glenda's in the nursery. Boy, he's bold when she ain't around. (laughs) What about for the men? What about for the men? What can the older men teach the younger men? How to be good hard workers and provide for your family. How to be sincere and a man of your word. How to set a godly example for your family to follow. And how to love your wife as Christ has loved the church. Again, you look at these things that I've got mentioned here. How to be good hard workers and provide for your family. Can I suggest to you today that there are very few young men who are hard workers today. Most of them want to live off the government. Most of them want somebody else to to pay their bills, to pay their way. Most don't want a job. Most are like a cousin that I have who when he was younger, he would look for a job and pray he didn't get one. Trust me, he must have had a good prayer life. Because I can't remember him working a day in his life. Look, the Bible teaches that a man is supposed to work. By the sweat of his brow. And if a man is too lazy to get out and get a job, you know what the Bible says about that? He shouldn't eat. Just a thought. Just a thought. Look, so many times in our day and time, you know, this attitude of the younger generation, both young men and both women, is that they can't learn nothing from the older men and the older women. You mean, Pastor, you're sitting here telling us this morning (laughs) that these old senile people, you want me to go sit down with one of them old senile people and let them tell me what to do? You know, they're still living in the older days. That's the attitude of the young people. They're still living in the older days, and you want me to take advice for them? Well, listen, it just might surprise you if you sat down with one of those still living in the older days and give them 30 minutes with an open mind to hear them out. It might just surprise you what you could learn from one of them older generation people who are senile and have no idea what they're talking about. Look, if you would get off the phone complaining about your spouse and getting advice from your best friend who is no wiser than you are and probably going through the same thing that you're going through and allow one of these wise teachers that God has placed within the church to counsel and to help you through the turmoil you're facing, you know, yes, and I'm talking about one of them old fogies. It might surprise you just what you could learn. Let me suggest to you, young ladies, If you want to cut down on some of your family pressures, don't reach for the anxiety pills or the Delta 8. Man, this is just, don't get me started on this younger generation with Delta 8. Okay? Look, Delta 8 is dope. It's got THC in it. You smoke it, you're going to get tested for THC. But this younger generation between anxiety pills and and, and, and and Delta 8, okay? If you was to sit down with one of these old fogies, I see a bunch of you old fogies out there. Amen. If you was to sit down with one of these old fogies, it might just surprise you how they could help you And get rid of some of those family pressures within your life. And you know why? Because they've been there. And they've done that. Young men, if if you want to learn how to be a type of the husband that your, your wife will respond to with submission, allow one of these older men who have been there and made the mistakes to help you know what not to do. Now somehow, I don't know how, But my wife has put up with me for 50 years. They've been great ones, haven't they, Mama? Yeah. In those 50 years, I have learned what not to do. I still hadn't learned what to do. You see the difference in learning what not to do and learning what to do? I've learned a lot not to do. Listen here. I know we ain't got too many young ones in here today. But let me let me just I know we got some young men that watches this live. So let me let me let me just say this. Young guys, that this is what I have learned not to do. You understand? I still hadn't got it down on what to do. Y'all do understand what I'm saying there. But let me tell you, younger guys, what not to do. Been there, done that. You come home one day from work, and when you come in, there's candles lit in the kitchen. Candles all around the kitchen. You walk down the hallway to your bedroom and there's candles in the hallway. You get in your bedroom and there's candles lit in your bedroom. You go to your bathroom. What's in the bathroom? Candles lit in the bathroom. Guys, listen to me. Don't look at your wife and say, didn't you pay the light bill? Listen to me. Candles have nothing to do with the light bill. Do you understand what I'm saying? The lit candles have nothing to do with the light bill. If you need more elaboration on that, get with me after the service and I will explain it to you in detail. That's something to not do, okay? Get with one of these old fogies. And I'm sure it will give you, do you both good. Now, what is the responsibility of teachers? The responsibility. First of all, is to study to show yourself approved. Study the word of God. You know, Paul told a young Timothy, okay? He said, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. Now, I love that term there in the King James, rightly dividing the word of God. When Paul says here, rightly dividing the word of truth, the word dividing has the idea of slicing the word of God like you would a slice of bread. In other words, taking the word of God there and begin slicing it, begin slicing it, begin slicing it and taking and looking at what the word of God is truly teaching there. In other words, don't just read over it, slice it, divide it, dig into it and learn all you can about it. You know, why is it important for a teacher to study in order that you may pass the truth on to others? You see, a person with the gift of teaching, this is how they prepare the lesson that you're sitting under. Is throughout the week, they take and they slice the word of God. And they look at it, they dig into it, they pray over it. Rightly dividing the word of God in order that they can take, soak it in and squeeze it out on you. On that one hour. 45 minutes, whatever that class might be. Those truths, many times, can only be found dividing or slicing the word. And a person with the gift of teaching does just that in their study. And the thing is, they enjoy slicing it. Another responsibility of teachers is to be an example. In James, James had this to say, My brethren, be not many masters. Now, what he's talking about there, don't don't desire to be a teacher. Don't desire to be one who is teaching others that you shall receive a greater condemnation. Now, don't miss this. Those with the gift of teaching understand they have others watching them, and they will do what they do. In other words, you're being an example to your class. So the example you're setting had better be a good example because you've got people following you, and if you've got people following you and you're setting a bad example, God says in this passage here, you're going to be held accountable for that. You're going to be accountable to that. And exa- that example that you're setting before your students is one that's not obeying the Word of God They will answer to God for their actions and you're going to answer to God too. They must understand they are an example to those that are under them. And this is the difference between one who simply holds the office of teacher is that they don't realize the responsibility that comes with teaching. But one with the gift of teaching understands they have a responsibility. Let me just close with this. There are more people that have this gift than what you think. There are some of you that are sitting right in here this morning who you're not involved in teaching a class, but you have this gift and you may not even know it. You're one of those old fogies, someone they can sit with. Okay, You've been there, done that. You've learned what to do. You've learned what not to do. And if someone were to be willing to sit under you, you could really teach them some things. You see, teachers are going to be held more responsible, and they need to understand that. One reason, you know, that many people don't employ that gift God has given them is because, again, they understand that there's so many out there that have the attitude is they don't want somebody telling them what to do. Look, if you don't have the gift of teaching, allow those with the gift to help teach you. And if you hold the office of teacher, but you know you don't have that gift, and it's become a burden to you, why not resign and let someone with the gift, with the gift of teaching, take over. Take over. Come alongside. Look, God has designed it this way, and it's up to us to live by it. His design. Maybe the reason you're not able to grow as a Christian is because you're not willing to learn. You're not willing to sit under someone with the gift of teaching and learn what they have they have learned all week by slicing the word of God and looking deep into it. You know, so maybe you're here today and you do have the gift of teaching, but you're not involved. Hey, get with this pastor and we'll see how we can't get you. Tied in, okay, and begin using that gift. If you're here today and you say, well, I I don't know nothing about spiritual gifts. I don't know what you're even talking about a spiritual gift. You know why? Probably because you've never been saved. You see, once we receive that initial free gift of salvation, God will then give you a special gift or gifts to be used right here in this church right here in this church. But you can't receive that gift until you receive the gift of eternal life. So if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, we want to give you an opportunity this morning. If you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, come into your heart, save your soul. We're going to have a song of invitation. And we want to ask that you come. If you're here today and you know you've got a spiritual gift that you're not exercising within Fairview Baptist Church, why not commit that to God this morning and begin letting Him use you the way He desires to use you and in the way He has gifted you. Let's pray.